doing different ministries at my church. So this is a special moment for me. Uh, COVID-19 made a lot of things difficult for most of us, especially if you do ministry or you do anything like that. You know that it's hard um, to, to do what you normally do in the way that you would expected it in the past year. So I'm so excited. Today we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 through 6. So I hope you have your Bible or maybe pull it out and use the Bible app on your phone. Use Google and type in the two verses because I don't want you to take my word for anything that I'm about to say. I want you to see it in the word for yourselves. I want you to see that I'm not just speaking some self-help advice, but I'm speaking the true and living word of God. And that's the only thing that's going to matter when we leave here today. You're going to forget what I say. But if you have the Holy Spirit, this word that I speak to you today, when I bring it out of the Bible and I bring it to you, you're going to store it away for treasure. Maybe to use it tomorrow in a moment in your life or maybe at a later moment in your life. So Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. I guess I better turn there too, huh? Be a great idea. And it reads, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. This is a verse on the list of verses when I was a kid that I memorized. You know, if you grew up in church, they're going to give you these little verses that are going to be easy to commit to memory. And this was one of them. But when I was praying about what it is that the Lord wanted to put on my heart to share with you, this verse came to mind and I approached the text as if I knew everything that there was to know about this verse. And immediately when I began to study and break it down, I recognized that I memorized this verse, but I never knew what it actually meant. I never knew what the wisdom in the Proverbs in this section was trying to exhort me to understand and to believe and to commit my life to trust It is a word that for most likely all of us comes with so much baggage. We had a parent that we trusted with our care and our nurturing, and they belittled, abused, and manipulated us. We had a friend that we trusted with our secrets, and they broke that trust and shared those secrets for their own gain. We had a boyfriend or a girlfriend that we trusted with our emotions, feelings, and affections, and they used those for themselves instead of serving us well. We had a church family that we trusted with our time, efforts, and gifts, and they stretched us too far and told us that we were sinful when we began to set boundaries. Maybe we even broke trust within ourselves. Maybe we trusted ourselves to do something or to not do something, and we even failed ourselves. As we look around, we can see the impact of people being unfaithful, liars, full of deceit, or in other words, untrustworthy. It makes us hesitant to follow, hesitant to love, quick to accuse, quick to create the worst scenario in a situation. It makes us shy away from vulnerability and accountability. Unfaithfulness makes us wishy-washy in our commitments. Deceit makes us shy away from the word or promise of a man or a woman. And we would be foolish to think that we do not place the untrustworthiness of man, the unfaithfulness and deceit of man on God. We think if I cannot trust my mama or my daddy to care for me and nurture me and I love them or not, then I cannot trust God to care for me 
and nurture me. If I cannot trust my friend with my secrets and my sorrows, then I cannot trust God with my secrets and my sorrows. If I cannot trust my boyfriend or my girlfriend with my emotions and feelings, then I can't trust God with my emotions or my feelings. And if I can't even trust my church family with my efforts, then how can I trust God with my efforts? And my God, if I can't even trust my own self, how in the world, Shay, do you expect me to trust God? The Bible would agree with you about the fickleness, the wishy-washy tendencies, the deceitfulness, the wickedness, the unfaithfulness, and the untrustworthiness of man. But the Bible would never exhort you to place all your trust in the things or the people of this world. However, the Bible in its grand message, it is exhorting you, encouraging you, asking you, leading you, and teaching you to trust God. And the Bible supports its encouragement by telling us what God is like. Telling us that he is perfect, holy, just, righteous, majestic, glorious, and so much more. Everything that makes someone faithful and trustworthy, God is. And everything that makes someone untrustworthy or unfaithful, God is not. Because according to 2 Timothy 2 verse 13, it says that if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. So God's consistency is never replicated nor dependent on the inconsistency of this world. So here in Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6, Solomon, David's son, is sharing with us this gift of wisdom. And he is encouraging us to the same thing. Unlike secular Proverbs, the Proverbs of the Bible give us wisdom that are binding for all people at all times and all seasons. So what we're going to study today, this is not a momentary wisdom. This is not something that you're just going to use when your car breaks down or when your shoe becomes untied or when you have a little struggle along the way. No, this wisdom that we're going to dive into today, it's going to be binding in every season of your life. When your gray is hair, when your hair is gray and you're in the nursing home, when you're getting married and you're having children, when your car breaks down, when you're in Walmart and you're buying groceries, everything that we look at today is binding for you at all times because this is the eternal wisdom of God. So those who hear and obey God's words are considered wise. And those who hear God's word and disobey are considered fools in Proverbs. So if this message had a title, it would be, it is wise to trust in God, but it is foolish to trust in anything else. It is wise to trust in God, but it is foolish to trust in anything else. And we're going to investigate the claims of scripture. I'm a very inquisitive person. That's why I love that song, Is He Worthy? They're asking these questions about the claims of scripture, and they come back around and answer them. We're going to do the same thing. We're going to ask five questions. What is biblical trust? Who is God that I can trust him? Shay, if I'm supposed to trust in God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, then he must be someone that I can trust in above myself and everything in this world. What does it look like to lean into my own understanding? How do I acknowledge God in everything? And how does God make my paths straight? You ready to dive in? Number one, what is biblical trust? Biblical trust can be defined as confidence, unsuspecting, to cause, to rely. Or to inspire confidence. Or in other words, the Bible would say you may lack confidence in your parents, but you never have to lack confidence in your God. You probably will never be unsuspecting of mischief and evil in this world, but you can always be unsuspecting of your God. You probably do not have too many people that have caused you to rely on them. But see the faithfulness of God. It is a foundation for reliance. See the majesty of God. It is a spring that rains out confidence for a people who are thirsty for 
someone they can place their confidence in. Shay, where in the world does the Bible say that God is unsuspecting? What does it say that I can be confident in him and rely on him? I'm glad you asked. Psalm 9 verse 10 says, those who know your name trust in you. For you, O Lord, do not abandon those who search for you. Psalm 115 verses 1 through 9 says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name goes all the glory for your unfailing love and faithfulness. Why let the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens and he does as he wishes. Their idols are merely things of silver and gold shaped by human hands. They appear to give me life, but they're really dead on the inside. They have mouths, but cannot speak and eyes, but cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear and noses, but cannot not smell they have hands but cannot feel and feet but cannot walk and throats but cannot make a sound and those who make idols are just like them as are all who trust in them oh israel oh collaborative trust the lord he is your helper and your shield someone 1889 says it is better to take refuge in the lord than to trust in people it is better to take refuge in the lord than to trust in princes so not only are people fickle, but so is prince, every prince that's ever lived in time and will live in time. So what is biblical trust? Biblical trust is an unsuspecting, confident, reliant trust in God. It is a non-abandoning, shielding, helping, and an enclosing type of trust. Question number two, who is God that I can trust in him? Well, this verse says trust in the Lord. So who is God that I can trust in him? He is the Lord. The original language behind this text, it would say trust in Yahweh. Yahweh is God's name and someone's name comes with their reputation, their person and their character. If I told you trust in Tanner Guidry, you're going to have an idea in your mind about his person, his character, his reputation. You're probably going to say if I trust in Tanner, we're going to be jumping off cliffs somewhere. We're going to be going skiing randomly like that. That's his person, his nature, his character. So when it says trust in the Lord, it's not asking you to trust blindly. It's saying trust in God's name, trust in God's reputation, trust in God's person and trust in God's character. Psalm 18, 30 through 36 says God's way is perfect. All the Lord's promises prove true. He is a shield for all who look to him for protection. For whom is God except the Lord? Who but our God is a solid rock. God arms me with strength and he makes my way perfect. He makes me sure-footed as a deer, enabling me to stand on mountain heights. He trains my hands for battle. He strengthens my arm to draw a bronze bow. You have given me your shield of victory. Your right hand supports me. Your help has made me great. You have made a wide path for my feet to keep them from slipping. Psalm 19, 1 and 4, 7 through 10 says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. I can't go outside without escaping the faithfulness and the beauty of God. I can't wake up without escaping the faithfulness of God. I can't lay down without escaping the faithfulness of God. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are clear. We don't have to question. They give insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold. Even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey. Even honey dripping from the comb. 
How many of you in here like Chick-fil-A? You like some Chick-fil-A sauce? Yeah, I know y'all do. Y'all like those new Chick-fil-A shoes that came out too, huh? So most of you, when you go to Chick-fil-A, you're going to be mad if the sauce is not in the bag. Because that's something that you desire. But this is saying that God is someone that's more desirable than the Chick-fil-A sauce that you get mad about if they don't put it in the bag. Because he is sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. So who is God that I can trust in him? What is his reputation, his character, and his person? He is one whose way is perfect, whose promises prove true when everyone else has told me a lie, whose shield protects us when the brick wall crumbles down, a solid rock, one who keeps us from slipping, one whose glory is proclaimed in the heavens and whose craftsmanship is displayed in the sky. Not one billboard, not one news ad, not one TV commercial, not one radio show can confine God's glory. Whose instructions are perfect, reviving dead souls back to life? Who is God that I can trust him? He's one whose decrees are trustworthy, whose commands are clear and laws are true. One who speaks words that are more desirable than gold and speaks words that are sweeter than honey. Who would not want to trust a God like that? Who is more trustworthy or reputable than that? So what is biblical trust? It is an unsuspecting, confident, reliant trust. And who is God that I can trust in him? He is the solid rock. Question number three, what does it look like to lean into my own understanding? Can I get two volunteers? Two people. I'm not going to make you talk. Anybody. Okay, we got, we got Tanner. And what's your name? Spencer. Spencer. Tanner and Spencer. Come on. Leave your, leave your stuff behind real quick. It's a very simple task. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. I want one of you to do a trust fall. That, that's it. Just one of you going to be the catcher, and then the other person going to do Okay. Okay, all right. So one time, one time. All right, okay. One more time, one more time. Everybody watch. Everybody watch. Y'all watching? Bet. All right, thank you. Give him a hand. Give him a hand. Appreciate it. All right, what does it look like to lean into my own understanding? They just showed you a trust fall. And a lot of times we think our idea of trust is to just let go of everything and I'm just going to fall and the ground will catch me when I get there. That's that's what we think about when we say I'm a trusting God. Because when everything else messes up, we find ourselves at rock bottom like, okay, well, I just give up. That's it. I'm just going to let everything. It it is what it is. It's going to be what it's going to be. Whatever. But that's not how this text would say to trust. You see, it says to lean. Do not lean on your own understanding. To lean into something means to support oneself like I'm doing with this this stool. To make yourself comfortable in or to depend on. To understand means a comprehension to the core. So we lean in our own understanding when we make decisions about our life in this world based on our own limited comprehension or knowledge of what we can see, grasp, or understand. And you all do have limited comprehension and knowledge, and it will never be unlimited. See, the world says love is love, that it does not matter who you love. So in our same-sex attraction, we say, well, based on my understanding, I'm going to love someone and be in a same-sex relationship. Because it's my own understanding, my limited knowledge, my limited wisdom. The world says sex before marriage is not bad. That's old, that's, that's old stuff. If you're committed to one another, why does it matter? So based on my own understanding, I'm going to sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend before marriage. Because it's, it's my limited knowledge, my limited wisdom, my limited understanding. 
Well, I think that women get to choose what they do with their bodies. So if they want to have abortions, based on my understanding, so be it. The world says all ways of religion lead to eternal life. So based on my understanding, they can worship Allah and Buddha and I'll still see them in heaven. See, leaning on our own understanding is using our limited intelligence, wealth, wisdom and knowledge as a crutch or someone else's limited intelligence, wealth, wisdom or knowledge as a crutch. It is foolish to trust in anything else. It is wise to trust in God. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble as it's swelling. So what do I do instead of leaning on my own understanding, Shay? You stand on his. You stand on God's. You acknowledge him in everything because your crutch will crumble. Your knowledge will run out. I don't care how many letters you have behind your name. Your intelligence will run out. I don't care if you own every business in the world. Your wealth will run out. And I don't care if you memorize these proverbs. Compared to God, your wisdom will run out. God doesn't want you to lean on him just in your neediness. See, we run to the things of the world when we're in need. God wants you to stand firm in him always. When you're on the mountaintop, when you're in the valley, when all your family members are alive and doing well, and when you're putting some in the grave. It is foolish to trust in anything else. It is wise to trust in God. So what is biblical trust? It's unsuspecting, confident, reliant trust in God. Who is God that I can trust him? He is a solid rock. His glory is displayed over all the earth. And what does it look like to lean into my own understanding? It's trusting in all of your limited, whatever it is that you think you have going on. It's trusting in that and it's limited. So how do I acknowledge God in everything? Shay, that's great. You're telling me all this stuff. But how is it? Do I actually acknowledge God in everything? If this verse is telling me that. Acknowledge means to know, to notice. To hear of, to learn, reveal, or to become known. We acknowledge people, especially in the South, by giving a nod or a wave to say, hey, I'm acknowledging that I see you. I remember growing up as a kid, I would ride in my dad's truck all the time with him and we would have the windows down. And we, we grew up in a small town, but as we, always when we were riding, I would just see him do this a lot. Just, we'd go. He, and I'm like, dad, who, who is that person? He's like, I don't know. We're just waving at each other. That's what it means to acknowledge someone. You nod, you wave, you say, hey, I'm acknowledging that I see you. But if we're not careful, that is how we will treat God in our decisions, in our need, and in our search for satisfaction. God has not called you to formal head nods and how do you do's at the start of each day. God has called us to walk with him in intimate, relational and personal focus in every moment of our day. I think it's great to have a quiet time. I have one myself, sometimes in the morning, sometimes at night. But if we're not careful, our quiet time and time with God will be limited to that 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes in your day. God has not called you to a formal head nod to, hey, I'm, I'm acknowledging you in your word for this 30 minutes. And then I don't think about you for the rest of the day. That's good. God has called you to walk with him intimately, relationally. 
and a personal focus with them. I'm going to do a little illustration just to kind of give you an example of, of what I mean by this. What does it look like to acknowledge God in everything? I think we know how to acknowledge God in the big decisions. God, who am I supposed to marry? God, what job am I supposed to have? All these big things. But it says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. So if I come and grab you while I'm doing this demonstration, all I want you to do is either sit on the stage or bow. You don't have to talk. You don't even have to do a trust fall. Okay? Sounds good? How do I acknowledge God in everything? He's called you to walk with him in an intimate, relational, and personal focus on him. And so it's the kind of intimacy that says, God, I trust you with my life. And so, God, I'm going to bring to you before your word. God, I'm going to bring my feelings, my attractions, my emotions. God, I'm going to submit them before your word. Because you're smarter than I am. You're wiser than I am. You have more wealth than I have. God, I'm submitting these things before you. Okay, with my same-sex attractions, okay, God, will you say that relationships are between a man and a woman? Okay, God, will help me to trust and obey. Because you know better than I know. Even when my feelings and my attractions don't line up with the way that I think I'm supposed to live. Okay, God, your word says this. Help me to trust and obey. God, here's my, my relationship. God, we're thinking about marriage. We're thinking about all these things. God, the world tells us this. The world tells us that. They tell us all these different things. But God, because you're smarter than what I am. Because your wisdom is more infinite than mine. I'm going to submit my relationship and my marriage before you. Okay, your word says that a a husband should love his wife as Christ loves the church and a wife should be submissive to her husband. The world, the feminist world, God is telling me I shouldn't be submissive. That's oppressive. But God, help me to trust and obey because you're smarter than they are. Your knowledge is deeper than theirs is. Your experience with life and what it means to thrive is better than what theirs is. So help me to trust and obey. God, here are my finances and my possessions. God, I work really hard for this stuff. I worked hard for this BMW. God, I worked hard for this six-figure salary. God, I worked hard for this house. I work hard for all these things. God, I want to get a boat. God, I want to go on vacation. God, I don't want to pay money for this person to go on this mission trip. God, I don't want to give more than a 10% because that's the bare minimum. But God, you're smarter than I am. God, your wisdom is deeper than mine. God, you have a greater knowledge than what I have about finances and about wealth because you have infinite possessions and you've done nothing but good with them. Oh, your word says that you can't serve both God and money. Okay, well, God, help me to trust and obey because you're smarter than me. Well, my mama used to say that I can do whatever I want with my money, but I I can't listen to other people's ideas anymore, God, because you're smarter than she is. Help me to trust and obey. God, here's my season, or maybe even my lifetime of singleness. God, I want a spouse. God, I don't want to be single. I want a companion. I want to have kids. God, I have a dream. I want a house with a white picket fence and a dog. I want to be able to put the little sticker on my minivan with that says five of us. But you're smarter than I am, and you have not withheld any good thing from me. You have supplied so much grace in my life. Oh, your word says that singleness is also a gift, and it's to not be despised? Well, since you're smarter than me, God, help me to trust you and obey. 
Because I want to acknowledge you in everything, even in my singleness, even if I don't want to be single. Help me to trust and obey you, God. God, teach me how to live with my eyes on my Savior and not on a spouse in this season, not on any of these things. Your word says this, help help me to trust and obey that. Thank you, guys. How do I acknowledge God in everything? How do you not acknowledge God in everything? Where has it gotten you to not acknowledge God in everything? When you depended on your own wisdom to make decisions about your finances and how you were going to spend them. Oh, it got you new shoes and some more clout in front of people, but you're still empty. Where did it get you when God was leading you to be single, to press into him more and to get to know him more and to grow into him more? But instead, you just kept running to relationship after relationship. Were you satisfied or did you just leave more heartbroken? See, we think we know better than God. We try to pretend like we know better than God. But where has it gotten you trusting in yourself? I know it hadn't got me anywhere. Just giving me more misery, more struggle, more sinful addictions that I'm praying for God to take away. That's where trusting in yourself gets you. And you still are left unsatisfied. So what is biblical trust? It's an unsuspecting, confident, relying trust in God because he has shown us he is a solid rock and his glory has been displayed over all the earth. That's why we don't lean on our own understanding and we acknowledge him in everything by walking in an intimate, relational and personal focus with him. Last question, but definitely not least. How does God make my path straight? Or in other words, this question could mean, Shay, what is the reward? That's all great and dandy that you're telling me I should trust in God. But what is the fruit of trusting in God over myself? Because at least when I trust in myself, I make a little bit more money. I have some newer shoes. I keep I have a relationship that I can post a man crush Monday, woman crush Wednesday on my Instagram. I at least have that. What gain do I have in leaning on his eternal wisdom over my limited wisdom? Well, this says that trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. So that's telling you all what you're going to do. But then it tells you what God's going to do. It says, and he will make your paths straight. In other words, God has promised to make righteousness attainable for those who trust in him. See, in biblical times, they did not have roads like we know today. Although if you drive around most of Sinlaw, the roads are not that great. But they did not have paved roads like we had today. So whenever they would establish a consistent path for travel... They would just do it over any landscape that was in the way. But that was going to require some work because if there was a hill, they had to level it out. And if there was a valley, they had to add dirt to raise it up, to make it all level ground, to smooth it out. So when it says that he's going to make your path straight, this is not a promise of no suffering or persecution when you follow Jesus. That's not what it's saying. But this is a promise that for those who commit themselves To Jesus's words and give their life to the Lord. God is faithful to make you pleasing to himself. In other words, to make righteousness 
attainable to you and his son. And uh, if you've been in church enough, you know why you need that. Because God doesn't dwell for long with things that aren't pleasing to him. So much so that he would exhort the Israelites to poop in a certain place in their camp. Because as he said, God is walking amongst your camp. That's how holy he is. So don't think for one second that, sh- that God just calls you and leaves you as you are. No, no, no. You can't dwell with God for eternity if you're not pleasing to him. This is why we need Jesus. Because when the spirit descended on him, it remained. And he says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. So I'm pleasing to God when I'm joined with his son. He makes righteousness attainable to me. Psalm 23, 3 says he restores my soul and leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Second Peter one, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. So think about that. Right now, sitting in here, if you're a professing believer, God has given you everything that you need to be pleasing to him by giving you his spirit. And if you're a non-believer, God has given you everything that you need to be pleasing to him. Look at the cross. So none of us are with. We don't have an excuse because the Holy Spirit never leads you to disobey. The Holy Spirit never leads you to distrust in God. It is wise to trust in God. It is foolish to trust in anything else. That's why it's so important to have spiritual disciplines of reading the word, to worship in song, to go to small groups where other people can push you to God's word, to gather in congregational singing and teaching like this. Because let me tell you something, you cannot trust who you do not know. You can wear a Christian necklace, you can put on the sweatshirt, you can do whatever you want to make yourself look Christian. But you cannot trust who you do not know and you cannot know who you do not engage. Wouldn't it be weird if Mr. Billy and his wife didn't spend time getting to know each other, yet they say they were married and that they loved each other? That'd be very weird. But Christianity is marked with a bunch of people who love God, quotation marks, but they don't love him enough to engage him with the means that he has given them to know him. God has given us his word incarnate. And his word divinely inspired, which is the Bible, so that we might engage him daily in an abiding relationship. So when I turn to Genesis and I read about Abraham and I see that God does provide a sacrifice when when Abraham obeys and he goes up on the mountain, I see a trustworthy and a faithful God. When I go to Exodus and I see that God sent Moses to rescue his people and he parts the Red Sea, I see a trustworthy and a faithful God. When I go to Leviticus and I read about the law, how not only did God take his people out of Exodus, but he was taking the Exodus out of his people. I see a faithful God to work sanctification in my life. When I go to the Psalms and it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I see a God that fulfills his promise to make him the joy of my heart and of my life. When I go to Hosea and I see this man go and chase after this unfaithful woman over and over again, I see this picture of a God who comes chase after this unfaithful woman, but he's a faithful God over and over again. When I see the prophets call Israel to repentance, I see a God who cares about his people and refuses to let them remain in their sin. When I go to the gospels, I see Jesus laid out on the cross in a tomb that is empty because God fulfills all that he has said about his son. 
It is foolish to trust in anything else, but it is wise to trust in God. It's a beautiful thing when you go to Revelation and you see how the story ends and it says, the spirit and the bride say, come, come and drink without price. Everything leading up to that, that God will be our heart cry, that he would satisfy us. So Shay, what are you saying? After all of that, I still don't get it. Well, I'll give you the Shay translation. With everything in you, both body and soul, throw yourself completely on the Lord. And do not support yourself from your own identity, reputation, name, or character. In your life, place your intimate, personal, and relational focus on him. And he will smooth out your journey to himself. Praise him, you can come up. I'm going to read a prayer to you by a guy named John Wesley. John Wesley is a Puritan. He is someone who is considered to start the, the Methodist denomination. Um, He's someone that really loves Jesus. And in my prayer Bible, it's an ESV uh, Bible that lists out prayers of old. So as I'm reading, I can see these things and be reminded of other people have read this, studied this and prayed over this text. So I'm going to read this prayer to you. And that's how we're going to end. And we're going to sing. I have no idea what that what what the Bible, what the scriptures I've read, what I've said has done in your heart. But I do know that God's word does not return void. So it's done something in your heart and you're the one responsible to respond to that. So I'm not going to tell you how to respond at all. It might mean confessing sin. It might mean praying by yourself. It might mean singing. I I don't know what that's going to look like for you. But I would just encourage you to trust and obey. I think that's the, the point of this. Let's pray. The words of John Wesley. Oh, Lord, the God of our salvation, you are the hope of all the ends of the earth. Upon you, the eyes of all do wait. For you give unto all life and breath and all things. You still watch over us for good. You daily renew to us our lives and your mercies. And you have given us the assurance of your word that if we commit our affairs to you, if we acknowledge you in all your ways, you will direct our paths. We desire, O Lord, to be still under your gracious conduct and fatherly protection. We beg the guidance and help of your good spirit to choose our inheritance for us and to dispose of us and all that concerns us to the glory of your name. Amen.